The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump seeks new Iran sanctions as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo consults Saudi Arabia. Meanwhile, President Trump has also named his new national security advisor. He has appointed Robert O'Brien as his White House national security advisor, elevating the State Department's top hostage envoy from relative obscurity to one of the most important jobs in the U.S. government. Plus, more reaction from Corey Lewandowski's testimony on the House Judiciary Committee. What does it mean for Democrats in their impeachment probe? Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, senior advisor at Rock Solution and former Blue Dog Coalition comms director, will help answer that question, as will Brendan Buck, former spokesman and advisor to former House Speaker Paul Ryan. He is now a partner at Seven Letter. With me here in studio, Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, senior advisor at Rock Solution and the former Blue Dog Coalition comms director, as is Brendan Buck, former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. Now he's a partner at Seven Letter. Busy day on the lead story that we've been following all week with regards to President Trump's national security policy in terms of, number one, he's named a new national security advisor, but also with Iran. And I'll read from my colleagues reporting on the Bloomberg terminal, Nick Wadhams, Glenn Carey, and Josh Wingrove. They say President Donald Trump said he wants tougher U.S. sanctions on Iran as his top diplomat arrived in Saudi Arabia to consult with leaders and build a case against Tehran following weekend attacks on the kingdom's key oil facilities. So here domestically, Brendan, the reaction from Republicans has been mixed. And I want to play for you now what Senator Lindsey Graham, who is an ally to President Trump, the Republican from South Carolina, what he said with reacting to the president's wanting new additional sanctions against Iran. Take a listen to Lindsey Graham. In the past, they haven't been. Time will tell. But I am looking for a response that would be unequivocal. If they don't pay a price for bombing a neighbor's oil fields, then all hell is going to break out in the Mideast. So there's Senator Lindsey Graham saying essentially that, look, we tried sanctions on Tehran. They haven't worked. There's been a maximum economic pressure campaign against Iran, against President Rouhani. And that might it might be time for some more force. President Trump was asked about that earlier today to respond to Senator Graham. Here's the president of the United States. I think it's a great sign of strength. It's very easy to attack. Uh, but if you ask Lindsay, ask him, how did going into the Middle East, how did that work out? And how did going into Iraq work out? So uh, we have a disagreement on that. It would appear that President Trump is trying to signal restraint 
in terms of military action against Tehran. Can he continue that? And is that too short-sighted? Yeah, I mean, this is actually, I think, playing to type a little bit. You know, as much as the president talks a big game and talks very tough, he is ultimately an isolationist. And I think what you're seeing is Lindsey Graham realizing that he lost a pretty strong ally in the White House. Lindsey Graham is one of the most hawkish members of the Senate. His response usually, no matter what the uh, dynamics are, is to escalate. Uh, and I think he had a, a partner in that type of mindset with John Bolton in the White House. Uh, now he's out. And I think uh, Lindsey Graham is, is probably feeling the need to, to fill that void and, uh, and take what is typically the, the, the tone that he, that he usually takes. Um, you know, as much as the president is an ally uh, of Lindsey Graham's, though, I, I don't know that he's going to be able to persuade Donald Trump that, um, that escalating is, is the approach because time and time again, no matter how tough he talks, Donald Trump tends to, to back away from actually taking any strong action. Brendan Buck, former advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan's here. He's now a partner at Seven Letter. You mentioned John Bolton. John Bolton's political orbit got a boost today. Robert C. O'Brien, currently serving as the special presidential envoy for hostage affairs at the State Department, has now been named the new national security advisor. We'll break that down coming up on the program. Kristen Hahn is here. Uh, she is former comms director for the Blue Dog Coalition in the House. Uh, she's a Democratic strategist and a, a senior advisor at Rock Solutions. Kristen, so there seems to be some debate in terms of the restraint that President Trump may or may not be trying to do. He, the, he's been on a roller coaster of commentary with regards to Iran in the past three or four days from tweeting out that we're locked and loaded, direct words, on whoever perpetrated, yeah. it looks like Iran, the Saudi uh, oil field attack, and now <laughs> at odds with his golfing buddy, yeah. <laughs> Senator Lindsey Graham. So there's, again, a, a, I guess some yeah. type of reversal. Well, let's be clear. There, there's a reversal all the time. I mean, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride every single day. Same. With Donald Trump. Arms up, ready to and, go. And also with Lindsey Graham. And I, th and I, you know, I agree with Brendan um, on, you know, he's very hawkish. So this, you know, but he's, he's back and forth on whether he agrees on Trump, you know, but I think the president's looking forward to 2020 and he's making the political calculation um, you know, right or wrong, I'm making judgments about that, but making a political calculation that he's promised the, uh, you know, his base and the American people who are tired of being Iraq and Afghanistan. But it also that he won't go in and do that anywhere else. It and also provides him the opportunity to say, hey, wait a minute, I disagreed with Senator Lindsey Graham at one point. I was trying to use restraint in terms of military so that if Iran was to do anything, he can say, this is not something that I specifically wanted to do and jumped the gun, quite literally. I just don't know what, I don't know. Is there any rhyme or reason to his foreign policy? I'm not sure there is. I mean, look at the fire and fury with uh, North Korea, you know, all the talk about Maduro in Venezuela. He beats his chest and then ultimately, not, I mean, I'm not saying that we should move forward, you know, with yeah. launching missiles into Iran or anything, but I'm just saying this is a typical pattern in which he talks a big game. Um, the problem is at this point, you need some allies. And so many on so many of these issues, particularly with Iran, he's sort of walked away from our coalition on these things. And, and I actually think we should continue to, to put pressure on them through, through sanctions. The problem is uh, we haven't brought around uh, our allies on that position. And so we're a little bit isolated. And I think we're, we're probably scrambling a little bit to try to, to drum up some support. It's going to come to a head at UNGA, the UN General, Assem General Assembly meeting. UNGA next week at, uh, and I, I, you know, I always go back to my, this is such a 
weird tangent, but I always go back to my my middle school geography days where technically where the UN is is not in New York City, but for all intents and purposes, it is in New York City. It's like that Vatican City type of argument. But I'm going to say, don't correct me, that it's in New York. But in New York, all the global heads are going to be there. Uh, the Democrats. The Democrats are all, I mean, respectfully, there's uh, diverse ideological thinking on the issue of Iran right now. Uh, I, I want to play for you what Senator Chris Coons said, and we're, we're hoping to get him on the show next week. Uh, Senator Chris Coons, the Democrat from Delaware, take a listen to Senator Chris Coons on, uh, on where things stand with regards to Iran. I do think some multilateral action is called for. Um, I do think if the president considers any action beyond sanctions, that requires a congressional engagement. Here we are. Here we go again with this modern of the Brendan mm-hmm. Buck shaking his head with this modern debate about whether or not uh, drone usage or, or whatnot would require military, or I'm sorry, would, would require congressional approval. Brendan, you were shaking your head. Well, I just, we, we've had this conversation, uh, I, I feels like a dozen times about congressional approval, and every member of Congress says that there should be a vote on these types of things. But members of Congress typically are not willing to actually take those votes. They, you know, we, we've gone, we did this with, um, with President Obama. You know, I was working for John Boehner at the time, um, and he was he announced that he wanted to strike Syria. Uh, the speaker backed him on this, and we and he said he wanted to get a vote of approval. And ultimately, we were not able to get members to be willing to take that vote one way or another because they just don't want to have to take responsibility for what happened. I imagine the same system situation is going to happen here. Right. I think that, that that's exactly right, um, and particularly headed into to an election year. Um, you know particularly in the House, when you've got so many seats up for up for grabs, I just I just don't see, you know. And we are, yeah, I think that. we're more a more isolationist country along sort of along the lines of, of, of I don't say aligned with Donald Trump on this, but, you know, I think we're a little worn out from, from uh, starting wars, particularly in the Middle East. So mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's going to be super excited about voting to authorize that. No, definitely yeah, not. Yeah, it's, it's going to be the backdrop for whomever is president uh, after the 2020 election, whether it's the Trump administration or, or a new incoming administration, Venezuela and the Middle East are not going away. Coming up, panel reacts to the National Security Advisor, Robert C. O'Brien, the new National Security Advisor. What does it mean for Bolton, John Bolton's political orbit? Plus, will there be some issue done with regards to gun control? And Corey Lewandowski. Brendan Buck is anxious to talk about Corey Lewandowski uh, <laughs> returning to. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. Sometimes I'll I can't help one. myself, Brendan. Uh, <laughs> eager to talk about Corey Lewandowski returning to Capitol Hill for the investigation. Senator Lewandowski will find out. Panel stays. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Hump Day, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're talking tariffs again here on this beautiful Wednesday inside of the Beltway. Really pristine weather. I mean, you got to be grateful. You got to have gratitude for that weather. Perfect running weather. With me here in studio... Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, senior advisor at Rock Solutions, former Blue Dog Coalition communications director, and Brendan Buck, former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. Now he's a partner at Seven Letter. Uh, 
and we're thrilled to have both of them here. We're going to talk tariffs. Did you guys see this? President Trump is talking once again about the Federal Reserve. This, as the Fed today, as expected, was expected, no surprise, cut interest rates for the second time since July, but not enough, not enough for President Trump. I always find this interesting because there's this debate in the international community about whether or not the U.S. central bank is as agile as other nations' central banks, which the president feels that the Fed is not, uh, and that other countries are able to react much more quickly and nimbly and efficiently uh, to geopolitical headwinds uh, than, than, the, than the U.S. is. So President Trump says, quote, Jay tweeted, Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve fail again. No guts. No sense, no vision, a terrible communicator. That uh, was President Trump's blistering critique of Fed Chair Jay Powell. All right, I want to play for you uh, what Fed Chair Powell said today at the at, during his remarks earlier today when he was asked about tariffs and whether or not it's providing volatility and uncertainty in the markets. Here's Fed Chair Jay Powell. Take a listen. Since our last meeting... We've seen additional signs of weakness abroad and a resurgence of trade policy tensions, including the imposition of additional tariffs. I always, fi- I always find it interesting how the chairs of the Fed speak in virtually a very different language than, than, we, than we talk. But here's more about uh, Fed Chair Powell talking about uh, the outlook in Europe and Asia. Here he is. Since the middle of last year, global growth, the global growth outlook has weakened, notably in Europe and China. Additionally, a number of geopolitical risks, including Brexit, remain unresolved. Oh, it's a volatile time, Brendan Buck, in the markets, and the Fed chair doesn't like tariffs any more than he likes Brexit. Yeah, the president complains, um, you know, about need for lower uh, lower rates. I mean, what goes unsaid is his actions are what are causing them to need to lower the rates. You know, the the trade war that is going on has a real impact. Um, you know, that's what Powell said today. And there's only so much you can do to damage China before it starts hurting other places, including us. Um, you know, the president likes to, to gloat about the fact that, you know, China is, is maybe feeling some pain from, from this trade war. Um, I, I guess that, you know, helps his case a little bit. But ultimately, uh, China's economy is highly connected to the whole world economy. And if you start hurting China a lot, you're going to hurt other places and you're going to start hurting us. You know, I think by any reasonable standard, rates are already pretty low. Um, just add this to the list of really sort of out of the bounds types of commentary from the president um, that you know breaks all norms. Um, but I just think it, it's remarkable that he complains about wanting lower rates when he is the one putting the economy at risk. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. And and another thing to note, just adding to what Brendan said, the you know President Xi, I mean, does not have the political pr- to deal with the political pressures that. The United States president does, and, and and that includes President Trump. So, you know, I mean, this game of chicken that we're playing is ultimately going to come back and harm the U.S. economy. Yeah, and of course, the backdrop is the election, right? Like, he's worried about the economy it being, the, you know, the strongest card he has to play, um, you know, beyond just his base. You know, if, if the economy takes a turn later this year, early next year, he knows he is toast. And I think a lot of this, what, what's driving it is he wants to have some type of sugar high from the Fed for the next year so that he can continue to make the argument about the economy, which I think otherwise could be really strong were it not for this ridiculous trade policy. And so the, the, 
Fed Chair Jay Powell today saying, quote, we don't see a recession, we don't forecast a recession, end quote. And I'll just, I think that bears repeating, quote, we don't see a recession, we don't forecast a recession, end quote. That's from Fed Chair Jay Powell. That said, the debate on Wall Street, Main Street, and heck, you don't even have to have an economist degree, just, you know, go sit around the dinner table anywhere, is will there be a slowdown or worse a recession in the next 15 to 18 months? It's the talk of the town. I mean, all around the country about whether or not that's going to happen and 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 why it's going to happen, whether it's specifically just the president's trade policies or whether it's more complex than that and inter, interrelated with regards to the situation in Germany with autos and then you get into the resurgent right in the in, in, with the Italians, they're a mess, Brexit. I mean, so there's all this volatility, Kristen, that's going yeah. on. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you get I was reading on Market Watch today by uh, uh, Seven Heinrich, uh, his piece titled Stock Markets Eerie Parallels to September 2007 Should Raise Recession Fears. So it's recession chatters there, but the Fed isn't saying it. And obviously, you know, why would they? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Fed too. I mean, well, the president, if you would, if you would believe Donald Trump, the the media would be responsible for recession. Now, you know, we always throw. I will that say I, it is. I mean, never mind. I'm not. I don't want to be smug, but I, it's a criticism I get. But it's it's as it's I say that smugly. And it's, it's but ridiculous. some people are commenting, but, but like they have an, a, a, they are talking about recession, but they don't necessarily. They do, but there's cover finance. Go and ahead. And I think that's also you know that's. True. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> True. I yeah. You know, you, a slowdown is not the same thing as a recession, and not that that's not scary for people all across the country. But I think people are kind of conflating those two. You, you know, you look at farmers, and, and Congress keeps having to. I mean, it was clear that the the tax cut um, bill that that was passed through the the Congress Brandon Buck just threw you to help things. Oh, so much shade over here. So, like, so I knew that was going to come my way. This is why I wish this was on television. I wish this was on television. I know. This is why I wish this was on television. Is because yeah. Brendan Buck was staring out the window and then the trash talking from the Dems <laughs> on the tax bill started. I don't do it he often. He just throws the shade. I don't do it often. <laughs> Not doing much to help, but I also think There's that the... side eye there we go. Actually, I correct myself. I stand corrected. It was side eye, not shade. Side eye. Brendan, defend yourself. Oh, go ahead. No, I didn't even know where you were going with that. I, know, I, I, mean, I didn't even finish. No, I, I think we, people have been talking about the idea that there's going to be a recession for like two years now. Eventually, they will be right. Eventually, there will be a recession. But every every month, you know, we get these these economic reports and they continue to pump out good job numbers, decent wage numbers. You know, there's no reason to expect that the economy is going to crash. That said, things could be better. That said, there are things that, we, that we're doing that are destructive to ourselves, and, and we should be you know, feeling stronger than we are. And, and, I, and I continue to believe that it's, it's the trade policy. All right. Coming up, we pivot back to politics. Panel stays. Kristen Hahn, Brendan Buck. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. 
Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Did Sean Spicer make it through the first round of Dancing with the Stars? Yes. I, I don't know. I didn't. I don't think it. we. I don't think they vote think until next week, or you find the results next week. Oh. Thank you. Our Dancing with the Stars resident. Now we're going to name him that. Brendan Buck, everybody. He is here, <laughs> former spokesman and advisor. I read the news. To speaker Paul Ryan <laughs> and partner at Seven Letter. I watched it, Brendan. For the record, I actually stayed up late and watched. Because I wanted to Those see. Sleeves, I still. Man. It was two nights ago, and I still am thinking about it. Kristen Hans here, Democratic strategist. How do you think uh, Sean did on on? Uh, you know, I think he he went out there, it? gave it a solid. I watched clips. I I gave him an oh, eight, I eight in. plus eight plus for the outfit. I, I tuned in, and I think he went for he it. Went for it, and he and that did I give his him best. credit for exactly the outfit. I'm not a fashionista. He did get. He was. He came in second to last. So there's oh, that. Oh, wait, wait. So we do know if he made it. I, I don't know how they score it, but, but I know that the score. But you have to have the voters from home have yeah. it way, way into yeah. The people. Yeah. <laughs> the people, too. Um, one of my sources on Capitol Hill, uh, vote, who is a Republican, uh, voted 10 times and was messaging everybody to make sure that, that Sean got in. I give, listen, anyone who has the courage to do that on national television, I say more power to you. I mean, there was a big watch party here in D.C. at Where? the Trump Hotel. I guess if I was friends with some I other was not people, invited. I would have been invited. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk domestic politics. Are they going to do anything on guns this week, Kristen? God, they should. I'm telling you. I mean, the the House has put the 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 Senate Majority Leader in a pretty tough spot. I mean, and I know people say this over and over and over again, but it's true. People overwhelmingly, Republicans overwhelmingly support uh, comprehensive background checks. It's something that a state like Colorado implemented 20 years ago. Um, you know, there's no reason not to, and very rarely can you put, uh, you know, the Senate Majority Mitch McConnell in a bind. But I, I really think that he's not, he's not in line with where the American people are on this. Brendan, Republicans, what's the, what's the divide here? Because no matter what Republicans agree to, Dems are gonna, Kristen and her. Yeah, and I think that's why they want it. I, I think largely Republican leaders want the issue to go away. Because whatever they do do will probably upset some of their voters, but it will never be enough for the left. And it's one of the things you you get beat up, but but you don't ever get rewarded. And so I think what Mitch McConnell has basically said, I'm going to leave this up to Donald Trump, knowing full well that Donald Trump is never going to settle on a policy position. Well, look, and push a lot it. of I mean, a lot of our mem- I mean, the members that I work with that are Democrats and really you know kind of centrist Democrats in, in middle of the road districts, they're in the exact same spot. I mean, they mm, I mean they're in the exact same spot as the Republicans you're talking about. They you know they try to do something, it's never enough. But you got to start somewhere. You got to do something to have passed a background check bill. And it, look, I, I think there actually was a real opportunity to do something, and maybe it's not dead yet, a real opportunity to do something on background checks. I think this president is the one person who could actually get that done, could go to people yeah. who care a lot about this issue and say, here, this is what we're doing. This isn't some brand, some brand, some grand conspiracy, excuse me, to take away your guns. And they would believe him and he could get it done. Um, but he has not ever shown a willingness to push Republicans on something they don't actually want to do. Can I ask a real question? Because I, I, you know, I, I'm not really trying to be naive. I'm also not trying to put any of you on the spot. But Brendan, 
walk me through this because there are so many issues, whether it's on foreign policy in particular, where Democrats and Republicans consistently work together behind, not even behind the scenes, but, but to craft U.S. policy as a whole. Why? Because I actually believe this, and I know listeners might disagree, and but I actually believe that Republicans and Democrats want there to be no more mass shootings. I, I don't think it, I, I just think as a human, you don't want there to be a mass shooting. But why, why isn't there a, a working groups happening at a national level behind the scenes, public, private, both sides of the aisle, where they're actually talking about this and not in a reactionary way? Because Brennan, and I'm asking you, Brennan, because I, I do think that the Republicans are the key here and not and not because I'm putting anyone on the spot, but that at least. But why doesn't that exist, or maybe it doesn't? We don't hear about it. Uh, well, I think it's important to appreciate um, that a lot of Republicans don't actually agree. Some of these solutions that are being talked about are solutions, and you know, agree with that or, or don't. I'm just telling you. you know, for example, when um, after after Las Vegas and the speaker came out in support of banning bump stocks. You would have thought some of our members had said, thought that he had just endorsed a, a mandatory buyback program. They were like, that is not going to solve any problems. Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? You just have to understand that is the mindset a lot of these members. It is not as though they all believe that stronger background checks are going to stop uh, these uh, mass shootings. They just don't believe that. And so they're not particularly motivated to find a solution because they don't actually think that is the answer. I would say, I mean, and I've done some work with a group called Stand with Parkland right after uh, the mm. Parkland shooting. And it does these, it's the parents of, a collective parents of, of, the, par of the children who were murdered at Parkland. Now, the, 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 their, their, their fellow students were the ones that were getting all the attention. But these parents are a good mix of Republicans and Democrats and actually have spent a lot of time working in the Florida legislature and were successful in doing things there on a bipartisan basis. And I know for a fact they've been working really hard on the Hill, having meetings with Leader McConnell and Nancy Pelosi and people across the aisle, you know, and the Republicans are receptive to their ideas. I think that they don't get enough attention. Um, but there are people out there who want to work across the aisle to, to get things done. And it's just hard to do it in a, when, you, when you raise these these issues to a public level. I, I think that there is, and, and I, don't get me wrong, I, I think that Republicans should support this for the background checks for policy reasons and for political reasons. But ultimately, you know, when people like Beto O'Rourke are talking about taking away guns, they end up playing into the hands of people who don't want something to happen. Because, you know, if we can just say we're going to stick to this particular policy and we all agree and, you know, let's not worry about where we don't agree, let's just do this. But so much of the argument is this is a slippery slope. They say this now. The next thing they're doing, they're going to come for yep, your guns. Exactly. And when Beto O'Rourke says, yes, I am coming for your guns, it makes everybody just want to stop. And take a listen to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer on this. He was, he was talking about the stay on the Hill. Take a listen to him. Here he is. Politicians offering their thoughts and prayers just doesn't cut it anymore. It's put up or shut up. Leader McConnell, Senate Republicans, what will you do? For the record, that was not my phone. Uh, that was Senate Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer talking about this to, to put up or shut up. I am I, I'm curious to see how this plays out. I, I just feel that every time I get out of Washington, um, 
you talk to people and they, it, it just seems like we're in such a reactionary phase with a, with a problem that everyone identifies as a problem. And I, I really do believe we talk and we cover so much with regards to technology, with regards to artificial intelligence, with regards to how big tech companies are responding and working with the federal government, regardless of political party overseas to stop terrorism. I don't know. There seems to be a lot of consensus on those issues, and I don't know why there isn't more chatter about that domestically. Coming up, 2020 talk. Who's up? Who's down? Panel stays. Will Joe Biden emerge as the Democratic nominee? Kristen Hahn reacts. Brendan Buck's here. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I still await uh, guidance from the White House as to what he thinks he's comfortable signing and if and when that happens. That was said... That was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell speaking earlier today on the floor with regards to gun control policy and whether or not he's received any guidance from the White House. He's he's given the lead to this issue to President Trump. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I do want to read a disclaimer. Michael Bloomberg, owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, founded and helps fund Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit that advocates for universal background checks and other gun violence prevention measures. Here with me in the studio, Brendan Buck, former senior advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. He is also a partner at Seven Letter. And uh, Kristen Hahn, uh, former comms director for the Blue Dog Democrat Coalition. She is now a senior senior advisor. advisor. All these titles in Washington. At a rock. (laughs) I know the rock (laughs) solution part with our good friend, Rob Bajin. Sorry, I always – I don't like butchering people's titles or names. Um, All right, so this is my favorite part of the show where we talk about what's on your radar, what's one thing that we didn't talk about that we should be talking about, that we should be paying attention to. Kristen Hahn, what's on your radar? I, you know, you know me, Kevin, I am always looking at the House and the impact of what's happening with the Democratic presidential candidates in 2020. Yes. And the impact on whether we keep the House or not. So there are a lot of different political implications. Uh, I think that, you know, Senator Warner, she's she's surging in the polls right now. Warren, yeah. But, uh, sorry. <laughs> I thought yes. I misheard you, but I also am hearing impaired, so I was I like, like, I was like, who? I mean, it's a long day. I'm sorry, Senator Warren. Trust me, um, I get it. Trust me, I get it. But you know, and like I really think this this issue of Medicare for all and 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 it being a, a tax increase on 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 middle class Americans is going to become a mainstream issue if she uh, is is the nominee. And we saw it on Stephen Colbert last night. He was he went at her, That's asked right. this question, and she was not able to answer it. So it's concerning to me, um, you know, and I worry about the impact of of her a candidacy like that on on uh, that the House members who are trying to come back in these really tough districts. I let's stay with this for a second with Medicare for all, because, look, there are people who who really believe that this should happen. They're mm-hmm. who are passionate about this. And they say when I when I interview them and when I when I talk to them, they say that collectively Americans would pay less than when you factor it in that taxes would go up. But collectively, costs would go down. Is that an argument that you feel, Kristen Hahn, as a Democrat, 
can be sold to independent voters, not in a primary election, but in a general, folks who have voted for Republican presidents and Democrat presidents? So, no, I do not think it is. And I think uh, there's a major reason for that because, um, you know, not just the tax cut, but if you ask people if they support Medicare for all, a large number of Americans say yes. If you ask the second question, do you want to give up your private health care insurance? They say no. And the support for Medicare for all plummets, like, immeasurably. So what I think also is something that a lot of people aren't talking about, but a lot of grumblings inside the Democratic Party, but a lot of people aren't saying it out loud, so I want to get it out there, is that a lot of progressive, I think, the argument to them about Medicare for all and the concern there is that you've got a government-run health care program. Do you want to hand it over to a president like Donald Trump? And so it's an angle and like a thing that people are looking at, but you, you know, do you really want to do that? You know, Pramila Jayapal, who has that? No, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Um, Well, I think, I I think the Medicare for all, I mean, should she become the nominee? Would you support her? I'm not, you, I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I know I just did. Would, but would, would Democrats personally, would you, would Democrats like yourselves and coalition groups that you're a part of, would they support her? I think that a number of independents would not. Um, wow. I think that some may. And they would support Trump. I think that some may and some may not. I think that maybe um, like the John Kasich of the Democratic I think Party. enough people are looking at their their lives and looking at the economy. Now it depends on what it's like. Then you know if we have a major economic downturn, but enough people are looking at it saying, you know, I may not like what he says all the time, but I'm doing pretty well. I mean, the 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 silent Republicans now who are concerned about the budget would go up in arms if there was Medicare for all. Brendan Buck, what's on your radar? No, I, mean, I just I would continue that. I mean, for, as a political matter, I, I, I think that Democrats have not walked into this very well prepared. Um, I think Republicans are, are going to be running on this sort of no matter what. Um, but I don't really quite understand why any party at this point would want to make health care the defining issue as an offensive issue. And I understand, you know, you can or as a de- maybe as a defensive issue is the best way to put it. If you look at 1994, you look at 2010 and you look at 2018, the House flipped largely over health care. Mm-hmm. And this is such a personal issue. And for a party to try to thrust this back into everyone's face in, in such a disruptive way, I mean, I understand it fires up the progressive base, but there are real risks involved uh, politically by, by going down this route. And it's not theory. It's, you know, three out of the last four times the House has flipped, I would say that health care was one of the primary factors behind it. Who, do yeah. you, who gives you the most pause in the field, Brendan? Uh, in what way? I mean, that, that would that would cause a Democrat to beat Trump. I mean, I think any of them have the potential to beat Trump. I think some of the fundamentals that Donald Trump got elected with are are in real question. I, I think some of the the Rust Belt states. You know, we talk a lot about how he has energized the white working class vote, but you know that comes. There's a cost to that, and it's these suburbs. Whether you're talking about. Uh, Milwaukee or Detroit, some of these areas that um, are or Philadelphia or Philadelphia, these states that are critical. I mean, the president won Michigan by 10,000 votes. You know, uh, you know, I understand that the the white working class vote is a large percentage of, of Michigan. Um, but, you know, the more that he sort of uh, attacks immigrants and whether all these questions around racism, you know, these are the types of things that suburban voters um, are really turned off by. And so all that to say, I think he's he's vulnerable in, in a lot of ways particularly if, if the economy does have a downturn. I mean, I think this, on the Democratic side, I think this has turned into a three-person race. It, uh, and really... Uh, Andrew Yang and this gang. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Don't agree with you. Um, you know, I think if if it were down to Elizabeth Warren and, and uh, Joe Biden, I think this would be over. I think Elizabeth Warren would, would run away with this thing. 
Um, I think Bernie Sanders is really just in, in her way at this point. All right, that's what's on the panel's radar. Quickly, what's on my radar is that momentum is building for quick action in Congress to pressure China to back off any crackdown on pro-democracy protesters by threatening Hong Kong's special trading status with the U.S. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. We're going to keep careful eye on it. Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, has built a bipartisan coalition on this to uh, allow the U.S. a little bit more oversight in terms of their trading relationship with regards to Hong Kong. And that matters. That matters because of those pro-democracy protests happening overseas. That does it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My thanks to Kristen Hahn and Brendan Buck. Kristen Hahn at Rock Solution. Brendan at Seven Letter. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.